Would you pray with me, please, and pray for me that uh, I may have a word from the Lord for you today? Father, we are grateful to you for your word. Your word is living, and your word is powerful, and your word cuts through us, Father, through the deepest parts of our lives. And I pray that today's word, Father, would be one of those times that you do surgery on us and that you are strong upon us and that you give us all, Father, who are here, guidance. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and open our understanding that we may receive that word. Father, I give myself to you, and I pray your direction. And just come. Just come, Lord. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Please pull out your Bibles. Pull out your Bibles. There are Bibles in in front of you as well. The inserts, you can probably follow in the inserts as well. And of course, I'll be putting up things up in the screen so that you can follow uh, with me. But there's nothing like having your Bible open. Today... um, Today we're going to learn some heavenly things. Some heavenly things that are of great importance to us that are earthly bound creatures. We are sometimes so earthly bound that we don't see things from God's perspective. Because all that we know is what we've learned from the moment of birth. And so it makes us very earthly bound. All our perspective is earthly. All our perspective is from the lens with which we see it, which is what we know and what we understand. But I think Jesus wants to take us in a different direction this morning... He wants us to consider heavenly things, heavenly things. Through the story of Nicodemus, through the dialogue, through the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, he wants to speak to us and sort of reveal some things to us that we tend to take for granted. In fact, we are so familiar with John 3.16 that I don't know a single Christian that cannot recite it without missing a beat. And yet I wonder if we fully understand what it is that we are saying when we say that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that we would not perish but have everlasting life. We see it at baseball games. We see it at sports events. Somebody has to have a sign that says John 3.16, as if everybody will know what John 3.16 is. Uh, and 
And even when we interpret John 3.16, we tend to interpret it from our lens and not necessarily from God's lens. And part of my hope today is that we're going to look at what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Now, and I'll say this at least twice, but Nicodemus is stuck on earthly things. And Jesus wants to unstuck him <laughs> and move him to consider earthly things. Okay? And you probably will hear me say that again, but uh, that's what, what's going on here. You have two perspectives in this story. One is Nicodemus's perspective from an earthbound human being, and another one is Jesus's perspective from a heavenly bound Lord and Savior and God, the Son of God. And those two things are going to kind of meet, and, and we're going to be blessed, hopefully, by it. Uh, let me again say from the very beginning that we are earthly beings and Jesus wants us to move from the earthly and its boundaries and limitations to the heavenly, where we can have perfect communion with God and have eternal life. That's where Jesus wants us to go. Now, Jesus says to to Nicodemus at one point, he says to him that those that are born of the flesh are flesh. There's a, a diagram that I kind of drew for you up in the screen. We all understand earthly birth, don't we? We all understand earthly birth. We know we have a dad and a mom, we have possibly seen some of our children born, perhaps some of our grandchildren born. We understand fully earthly birth. I don't know of any human being that doesn't understand earthly birth. The one thing we know about earthly birth is that, and somebody has said this, it's not me inventing, but I, I believe this, is that from the moment you're born, you begin to die. From the moment you're born, you begin to die. Your cells, some cells begin to die, new cells are regenerated, but we all start getting older from the first day of birth. Amen? Amen. We don't stay newborns or one day old. We go second day, third day, one month, six months, a year, two years, three years, and before you know it, you are an older person in your 30s, 40s, sometimes 80s. But from the moment that we are born, born of the flesh, we begin our journey toward the grave. That is the journey of the flesh, and no one can escape this journey. Amen? Amen? No one can escape this journey. So Jesus says, those born of the flesh are flesh, and therefore they're going to experience the limitations and the direction of the flesh, which will eventually end up on the grave or in the grave. 
But Jesus also said that those born of the Spirit are spirit. And the Spirit doesn't end in the flesh. It doesn't end in the grave. Not the second, uh, or, or I've added another line, and at whatever moment of faith, whatever moment of faith, you can come to faith in your teenage years. You can come to faith when you are 28. You can come to faith when you are 40. You can come to a faith when you are 80. But at the very moment that you come to faith, you experience a new birth. Because at that point, you are born of the Spirit. At that moment, you're born of the Spirit, and he who is born of the Spirit is Spirit. And at that moment, the direction of who you are changes forever into eternity. This is what Jesus calls the new birth, or the birth of God, or being born again, or being born anew. Different translations will translate it differently. Those that are born of the flesh are flesh, and we will all end up in the grave. But those who are born of God at any point in that journey, the flesh, yes, will continue to go to the grave because flesh cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But the spirit can inherit the kingdom of God. So the moment we're born of God, our destiny changes, our direction changes, and eternity become what God's gift to us. We understand that? Okay. Jesus wants to introduce Nicodemus to the idea of being born again because Nicodemus is stuck in understanding only earth birth. And he needs to move him to this point of believing, this point of being born again. We learn earthly things by experience of being earthly. And one of the, one of the things that we learn in being earthly is earthly birth or physical birth. And this is where Nicodemus is stuck. Now we must learn heavenly things. And Jesus says that no one has ascended to heaven except him who descended from heaven. So he's the only one that can teach us heavenly things. Only him. And Jesus uses, uh, if, you, if you look at your scriptures, Jesus uses two titles for himself which I think are important. He says that he's the son of man. And he also says at least twice or three times in this chapter that he's the son of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the son gives eternal life. So Jesus uses both the idea that he's the son of man Perhaps a reference to his humanity, but he's also the Son of God who is a reference to his divinity. And so the only one that can reveal to us earthly things is him who came from the Father, Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you a little bit about this passage. And we're in chapter 3 of John. 
We really don't know where Jesus is when he encounters Nicodemus. Exactly where he is, we don't know. But we do know that he is most likely in Jerusalem or on the outskirts of Jerusalem. In fact, in chapter 2, he tells us that the Passover feast of the Jews and the city of Jerusalem must have been filled with people. That's kind of the city of Jerusalem. Move to the next slide, please. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And then later in verse 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast. So we know that he's in Jerusalem somewhere. We're also told that Jesus performed a number of miracles. He performed a number of miracles before coming to Jerusalem, during being in Jerusalem, and even afterwards. Because we read, uh, number one, we know that he performed a miracle at Cana of Galilee, where he uh, took water and made it into wine. We also know that he gave us a sign of who he was when he comes to the temple and he finds the people selling oxen and selling doves and making a business and a profit out of the worship of God and the money changers. And he takes a whip and he cleans the temple showing who he was because it is the house of God. But then we are also told uh, in the next slide, please, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. So we know that at this period, Jesus has done a number of miracles. A number of miracles. We also know that the meeting between Jesus and Nicodemus took place at night. Right? We know that it was night when Nicodemus saw Jesus out. There's possibly a couple of reasons for that. One of them, one of them is that it's possible that Nicodemus didn't want to be seen with Jesus. So he goes to him at night, under the covering of night, under the veil of night. He doesn't want the other Pharisees to know what he's doing, and so he's kind of trying to, to, to slip in unwatched. That's one possibility. The second possibility is that being at night, most likely Jesus has already retired from the temple, and he's not surrounded by a multitude of people, all wanted to talk to him, all wanted a miracle, all wanted to see what he did, all wanting to know what he taught, and so he's retired perhaps to the outskirts of the city, and maybe Nicodemus felt, this is the only time I can get some one-on-one -on -one with Jesus. Let me figure out where he is, find out where he is, come when he's resting, when he doesn't have busy people all around him, and let me, let me talk to Jesus. Let me get to the deep questions of my soul with this Jesus, with this rabbi. That may be a second way or a second reason for him coming at night. But a third reason may be, because John, whenever he writes the gospel, he always plays with the idea of light and darkness, and day and night. 
And I don't know for certain whether John may have been referring to the darkness in Nicodemus's heart that was trying to get answered. At least he did not understand heavenly things. We know that. So I don't know if John is also playing a little bit with words in reference to tell us that Nicodemus was ignorant of some things belonging to the light, and so he was in the dark. You make your decision as to which one seems to work for you. What we know about Nicodemus from the very first verse of chapter 3 is that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Okay, he belongs to the group of the Pharisees, very learned, very committed to the Word of God. This was probably a man who understood the Word of God, the law and the prophets and the Psalms. This is a man who Jesus himself calls a teacher of Israel. So he's of the Pharisees who want the people to have a strict living under the law in order that they would obey and follow and please God the Father. We also know that he's a ruler of the Jews. As I said, Jesus calls him a teacher of Israel. But I think very, very important, we're also told, because Nicodemus himself tells us, that he's an older man or he's an old man. Because Nicodemus himself says to Jesus, how can a man being old go back into his mother's womb? So he's acknowledging his age. Now, I don't know about those of you who are very young, but the older you get, the more you start thinking about death and dying. I started thinking about death and dying a few years ago, many years ago. And I'm getting closer and closer. And I, I make the assumption that though Nicodemus doesn't come and ask Jesus directly about heaven and life after death, that that is really the question in his heart and the deep question of his soul. So I, because, because what I see when I read the gospel, especially John, is that Jesus has the keen ability to know exactly what's in the heart of man. In fact, Let's take a look at the next screen. Well, that's not the one I was looking for. But, but I'll, I'll show you in a moment what I mean. So Jesus knows exactly why Nicodemus is there. Just like he knows exactly what the Samaritan woman needed, and it wasn't physical water. What she needed was spiritual water. What she needed was the Holy Spirit and mercy and forgiveness. Jesus has the keen ability to know what's in the heart of men and women. And I believe that though Nicodemus doesn't ask a question, because that is not a question, that is a statement, Jesus knows exactly what Nicodemus is really wanting to know. And I think it is a reference to death and dying. So Nicodemus says to Jesus, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, this is a fantastic statement, isn't it? This is a wonderful statement that Nicodemus approaches Jesus and opens the conversation with. We know that you are a teacher that comes from God because we've seen the signs that you do, and no one can do these miracles and these signs unless God was with him. Fantastic statement, but he still comes very, very short. Because the issue is not that God is with Jesus. The issue is that God is Jesus, and Jesus is the Son of God. Nicodemus makes a fantastic statement, but he still sees Jesus as a teacher, a special rabbi who God is with him. He still doesn't see him as the Son of God who came into the world to give eternal life. Wonderful statement, but Nicodemus doesn't get it yet. You with me? Let's look at John 3, 16, 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus is not a rabbi. Jesus is not a teacher who God is with him. Jesus is the Son of God who has come into the world to give eternal life. So Nicodemus doesn't quite get it. Jesus' response to Nicodemus is an answer to what Nicodemus didn't, answer, didn't ask. And this is the, the slide that I wanted you to see. It says that Jesus knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of men, for he knew what was in man. And he knew what was in Nicodemus. He knew the real question that Nicodemus had in his heart. And it wasn't to come and, and make that statement. So Jesus answers Nicodemus, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now let me teach you something very simple, but it's easy to miss. We all pray, and we all end our prayers with amen, right? That's what Jesus taught us to do. Father, I ask for this, and I thank you for that, and I bless you, and I pray in the name of Jesus, amen, which means let it be so. I affirm it. Bring it on, Lord. When Jesus wants to teach us something really important, he doesn't end with amen. He begins with amen. And so my new, my, uh, new King James translated most assuredly. Other translations will translate it verily, verily. Other translations will translate it truly, truly. But what Jesus is actually saying is, Amen, Amen. And when Jesus begins with Amen, Amen, you better pay attention. 
Okay? So Jesus, Jesus begins the answer to Nicodemus with the words, Amen, amen, I say to you, Nicodemus, that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus twice says, how? Jesus, you just made a tremendous statement. I must be born again. How? The first time he says, how can an old man be born again and enter into his mother's womb? The second uh, time he says, how can this be? So Nicodemus receives Jesus' teaching, but he remains in the, what are you talking about? I don't understand. How can this happen? If I want to get to heaven, do I have to be born again? Jesus says this, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel, do not be surprised that I say to you, you must be born again. Now, listen to that. Jesus is not making a suggestion. Jesus is not saying you have the option. Jesus is saying, you must be born again. It's a must issue. Now, let me explain something here that Jesus says, because there is similarity between the earthly birth and the spiritual birth. There are similarities, but clear differences. When we are born of the flesh, we are born of water and the Spirit. You follow me? Because when a baby is born or is in his mother's or her mother's womb, he is in the, what is it called, ambiotic fluid? The ambiotic fluid is water. The ambiotic fluid is fluid that has been produced by mom's body, and that ambiotic fluid allows this baby to survive and live and develop within that ambiotic fluid. The moment a baby's about to be born, and all of us went through this, the back breaks, and you are born of water. You follow me? You are born of water. And the second thing that happens is that you have to have a breath. If you don't have a breath, they will make you have a breath. Okay? We all are born of water and breath. The word for breath, especially in Hebrew, is the word ruah, which is also the word for wind, and it's also the word for spirit. Ruah. 
When you transfer that into Greek, what you have is that a child is born of water and breath, but when you're born of the Spirit and you're born of God, you are born through the waters of baptism and through the Spirit of God. And in that, both births are very similar. What is not similar and is very different is that the birth human birth still ends on the grave while the birth of God takes us to eternity. But we are born, and see, Nicodemus can understand human birth, but he's not understanding spiritual birth. Spiritual birth is of God. It's from God, and it is the work of God in our spirits and in our lives that lead us to faith. And the moment we come to faith in the Son of God, we are born with a new destiny, a new direction, and a new life. And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you were born of flesh. Now you must be born of the Spirit. You must be born again if you're going to have this eternal life and this kingdom of God that you're interested in. Nicodemus responds by saying, how? How do I do this? And, this, and then Jesus kind of goes into his teaching. You mean you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? I thought you understood the law and the prophets. I thought you understood the Word of God because it's all over the Word of God. You should have known this, Nicodemus, and you don't know it? Well, the same thing happened to us, so don't get on Nicodemus' case. Many of us read Scripture, read Scripture, and we're still stuck in the ritualism of the church and not the spiritual birth of the Word of God. So let's be careful that we don't uh, get on Nicodemus' case too much. We must be born again of God, through God, and for God. And Jesus says, Jesus says that unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you will not see the kingdom of God. You must be born again. And then Jesus says, if you don't receive my teaching, Nicodemus, you have to receive my teaching. He says, we've been giving you witness of this, but you reject our witness. The first thing that we all have to do, we don't have to understand it all. We don't, understand, we don't need to know how God works. We don't need to know how the Spirit comes. We don't need to know so many details. All we need to do is understand and believe that God's Word is real. And if Jesus says you're born again and you have eternal life, you don't need any other proof. We must accept the testimony of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, hold on to it, and go. The second thing Jesus says is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him. That's the second answer to how you can be born again. You must believe. You must believe in the Son of God. Now before, before we move on from this. The word for believe or the word for faith in Greek is pisteo. I believe, pisteo. When we translate that into English, 
It is translated faith. The problem with the word faith in English is that it's always a noun and it's not a verb. While in Greek, it is always a verb pretty much. It's also a noun, but it's a verb. Now, verbs require action, correct? Verbs require action. When we translate the word pisteo into Greek, we translate it in English as believe. But believe has the connotation of things we believe in our head. The doctrines, the teachings, the word. That's when we say, do you believe? Our first thought is, whoop, what do I have in my head about this? The idea of believing in Jesus Christ is not just holding on to his teaching. It is a verb. And it requires an action that we live our lives as born-again believers. Born again as an action, not as a term, not as a sign, not as a word, not as a political religious statement. We who are born again are required to live every day. Our actions must be born again actions. We must be loyal to our Lord. We must keep his word. That is what it means to believe in Jesus, not to hold doctrine in your head, but to have Jesus in our hearts, in our lives. And that is the way that we believe unto eternal life. He who believes in the Son of God will have eternal life. But it's not just doctrine. You and I must live out a life of a born-again believer. God loved the world and gave his Son for us that we who believe in him will never see the grave. Our bodies made, but we won't. But we will have eternal life. So you must accept Jesus' teaching. You must put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because there is no other name under heaven by which man shall be saved. There is no other Son of God, not the real Son. We're adopted children, but we're not the sons and daughters of God. There's only one Son, and that Son was sacrificed on the cross so that you and I may have life eternal. And so we come to eternity through the Son, by the Son, and because of the Son's sacrifice. And so our faith needs to be placed on Jesus Christ. So Nicodemus's non-asked question is responded eloquently. Nicodemus, you must believe in the Son. And you know what? Nicodemus kind of disappears from the Gospels until the time comes when Jesus is crucified and when he's going to be brought down and buried and Nicodemus shows up again with Joseph of Arimathea, and they're the ones that bring the body of Jesus down because they are his disciples. So Nicodemus got it. Nicodemus got it. And my question is, do you get it? Have you been born of God? Have you surrendered your earthly bound reasoning for God's teaching 
that you need to surrender your life, your allegiance, your loyalty to, to Jesus Christ, the only Son of God who came into the world, because otherwise you are condemned by your own actions. It's not God that condemns us. It's our rejection of Jesus that condemns us. Jesus did not leave an option or a crack in the door. He said, you must be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of heaven. That's heavenly teaching to an earthly bound people who always have the idea that we somehow need to do more and give more and sing more and everything is about how much I do when God is saying what you have to do is put your trust in him who came to you, my son, not a teacher, not a rabbi, but the only son of God who came to die for you do you believe in my son, not just in your head, but through the way you live your Christian, saved, born-again existence? Heavenly things for earthly-bound creatures. I pray that you don't just take my words for it, Go back and read chapter 3 of John and listen to Jesus. Amen? Amen? Stand with me, please.